All right, Mason Barnes, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Hey, this is a yeah. huge honor. You're my first surfer, you know? Oh, no way. Yeah, it so, is. It's an honor. I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. So tell me, uh, I know you're about to head out for a trip uh, in a couple of days. Where are you going? What are you doing? Yeah, so I actually can't really say much about that oh, trip quite okay. yet. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's still confidential, but nice. it's really exciting. And once it's, you know out and about and I can share it with everyone. I'm super excited Yeah, tell a story, but uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Mate, I was doing a little bit of research on you uh, last night on the internet, some great videos yeah. of you traveling the world. Um, you've been pretty blessed to kind of be, be able to surf all around the world, right? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I was lucky. I got to travel at a young age. Um, even before I started surfing like professionally, um, my dad was a huge surfer. So, you know, we were always traveling and going all these amazing places with amazing waves. So, you know, I had the honor to, you know, travel and get to surf good waves at a really young age, which was, you know, really special. So it's kind of in the family a little bit then, huh? Yeah. My dad surfs. My mom doesn't quite surf, but she, you know, she loves going to the beach and, you know, being around. She took me to contest my whole life. So she's in it just as much as I am. And yeah, it's kind of just uh, my whole family surrounded by it. So do you have brothers and sisters as well. I have a little sister. She's 16. So, uh -huh. and she's, she she's getting into it and she's taking, taking it slower. You know, by the time I was her age, I was like dead set. This is what I want to do. Um, and she's kind of still dabbling in other areas. She plays music. She's just trying to figure out what she wants. So now you do, uh, some skateboarding or you did some skateboarding too, right? Yeah. So my dad was a professional skateboarder pretty much my entire life. Mm. Um, and then he started his own skateboard distribution company. And I started skating when I was, he had me on a skateboard when I was one. Like before I could even walk, he was pushing me around on a skateboard. And uh, it's pretty much, you know, been my whole life as a kid. Um, I skated way before I started surfing. And yeah, I still love it. I, I don't skate as much as I used to just because it's so easy to, you know, have a quick injury and be out of the water for a couple months. So I try to pick my times wisely, but I still, you know, have so much love for it. And it's, you know, just still a big part of my life. So. Do you think you were equally as, as good at both or were you always better at one than the other? Definitely not. There was a point in time where I was the same at both. I would say when I was around probably 16 mm. and then my surfing kind of started, you know, taking off from there and I stopped skating as much. So there was no progression there. And I haven't like progressed at skating since then. I still go do the same exact tricks I was doing 10 years ago, but I still <laughs> well, enjoy it. I mean, yeah. you know, with anything, it's time and energy, right? So why did you decide at that point in time to be putting more of your time and energy? Was it, was it just a, a draw to the ocean or what was it about surfing? Yeah, we lived right on the beach and I was just, you know, always going to the beach every day and I just slowly fell more in love with surfing. Mm -hmm. um, just being in the water and all my, you know, all my friends loved it and we would all go together and it just became something I fell in love with, you know, naturally. And yeah. it just kind of took over. <laughs> yeah, man. Listen, you know, when, when I was growing up, I grew up in Maroubra. Um, yep. you know, it's pretty famous for some of the surfers, you know? Um, and so I was surrounded by some great surfers as well. And, and in that culture too. Um, but to me, surfing was all, it, 
there was always, there were athletes, right? There, you, you're an athlete, no doubt about it. Correct. But it was always like a subculture, you know, it was like surfing stood, stood alone kind of thing. And, and skateboarding almost was in that realm too. It's like, if you're a skater and a surfer, you're certainly an athlete, but you weren't looked at as an athlete back 20, you know, 50, 25 years ago kind of thing. And obviously the, the sport has progressed now to where, I mean, you guys are full-time athletes and yep. it's very professional. So how has it kind of progressed in the time that you've been doing it? Yeah, it's definitely changed a lot. It used to be, you know, such like a kind of more of like a punk rock sport, I'd say yeah. like all the guys party, you know, mm-hmm drugs stay up all night you know mm-hmm. no training whatsoever and they were world-class surfers yeah. um but now you know people are progressing so much and they're starting to take everything so much more seriously with training you know healthy diet no drinking no drugs nothing mm-hmm. and it's just slowly becoming you know a more recognizable professional sport which is really cool to see and i think that comes with just the amount of you know drive people are putting into it and the actual progression of sport is crazy in the past two years so yeah who do you think are some of the names that maybe we would know i mean obviously kelly slate has had the biggest impact on surfing than anybody you know um so you know who are some of the other people that had had an impact on kind of changing that professionalism in the sport i mean slater's obviously you know the goat he's been in the game longer than anyone and he's still I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but he's still, you know, holding his own, surfing just as good as anyone. There's kids like John John Florence and like Gabriel Medina. Mm. They're both, you know, just really, really pushing the limits and showing what's possible. And it's pretty cool to see, like, even in the past year, you know, guys are starting to do backflips and 540s. And this stuff was, you know, seemed impossible a couple years ago. So they're really, really pushing it forward. And they're bringing it into the competitive scene, which is a big step because it's easy to go out, you know, and try one giant air over the course of four hours and maybe stick one, but they're put in these heats and have 20 minutes to land something and they're pulling it off. So it's mm. pretty crazy to see. Yeah, that's, that is awesome. Man, yeah. when I was growing up, there was tons of little kids that were obviously talented. And, and I guess that's the same for any sport. You know, you see young kids in, in swimming and, and you're like, oh, that's the next this and that's the next that. And then, and yep. then they never progress. Is it, is it kind of the same thing in surfing? Like you get some young talent that don't end up becoming some of the, the top surfers in the world? I'd say so. A lot of kids start at such a young age nowadays. You know, their parents are pushing them, you know, to be – the best person in the world at like 11, which just seems a bit aggressive. And I think they get burnt out really early just because Mm -hmm. of all the pressure and they lose the love for the actual sport, which, you know, is a majority of it. Um, I see that happen all the time. You know, kids are 11, 12, 13, you know, surfing amazing. And you're like, okay, that kids could be world champion potentially, but you know, 14, 15 comes around and they kind of, just realize that's not what they want to do anymore because they're pushed so hard at such a young age. So, mm. you know, I think there's a healthy balance of starting that young, but just at first doing it for the love of it and then slowly, you know, taking it more seriously and trying to make it, you know, a profession. Yeah. Well, how did you avoid that? You know, obviously your, your dad was a professional athlete and then, you know, you grew up young and doing it. So how, how'd you avoid the pitfalls of falling into that trap? Yeah, my mom and dad never pressure me to, you know, do anything. I I had, you know, the freedom to do whatever I want, whenever I want, which is really nice. So 
I would go surf when I want. I would go train when I want. And if I didn't want to do either of those, I didn't have to, which was really nice. But because of that freedom, I ended up wanting, you know, to go do those things more and more and more because there wasn't necessarily pressure. And it just naturally kind of took over after that. So, yeah, man, I noticed your hat says Billabong on it. When I was a kid, I had dreams of being sponsored by Billabong and another one of no your major sponsors. So I'm so yeah. jealous of the fact that it must be pretty cool to be sponsored by a major surf brand like that. Yeah. I'm lucky to, you know, be sponsored by them. They're, they're one of my favorite, they're my, definitely my favorite company in yeah. you know, the surf industry. They're yeah. awesome. Their clothes are awesome. All the people that work there are amazing. They've just yeah. been around forever. They make yeah. amazing products and yeah, it's just, I'm happy to represent that company and yeah, thankful to be a part of the family. Yeah. So. As an Aussie man, as an Aussie, that was the one. It was like Billabong's the one, you know? So yeah. It was always the I stuff just, to wear. I just started writing for them less than a year ago. So all right. um, it's, it's all really new to me and you know, I love it. It's been nothing but great so far. So now I know the, 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 the tool itself, the, the surfboard is, is important to uh, each individual person. Um, where, who makes your boards and, and how do you know what's good for you and what's not good for you? Yeah. So I have, I kind of, I don't have a major board sponsor just cause I kind of like to shop around and see what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, for my short boards, which are generally made for waves from one to 10 feet, I use channel islands. Um, they're shaped out of Santa Barbara and I've been riding those since I was probably 13. They just always felt so good. They're definitely some of the best boards in the world. I love them. Mm. Um, and then my big wave boards, I've been focusing on a shaper out of Hawaii. Um, his name is John Pizel and he's just got so much experience in that field of heavy water, you know, living in Hawaii for so many years and shaping boards for those type of waves. I just trust his equipment for those types of waves more than anyone. And they feel so good. So yeah, for short boards, I ride channel islands and for big waves, I ride Pizels right now. What does that mean to just the general person? You know, when, when I look at a surfboard, they all look the same. Like what, what does it mean to you to, to, for it to feel good? Yeah. So it's just over time I've, I can just, I can pick a surfboard up now and just tell whether it's going to work or not. Mm. And that's just from feeling thousands of surfboards over the years. Mm. Um, some are slow and don't turn too well. Some, you know, don't have the pop you want. Some just, yeah, they, some don't have like necessarily the life that you need. Like a really good surfboard, ideally, when you stand up on a wave, you can, it almost feels like it's springs attached to your feet. And there's almost nothing you can do to like, you know, detach from your board or slow down. It just takes off like a rocket ship. And that's what you look for. And then if it doesn't necessarily feel like that, then it's not a magic surfboard. Um, and sometimes you'll, I'll go months without, you know, having a magic board, but then that one comes around. It's just like the best feeling in the world. Oh, really? Yeah. So you, you want to hang on to that one? Yeah. And yeah, it's hard. You try to replicate them. Like you have a magic board. And you're like, okay, I want this exact board. I want mm. it to feel the exact same. And sometimes it's hard to replicate them. It's just like, it's a hit or miss, but I've been lucky enough, you know, I've had my boards pretty dialed in at channel islands. Yeah. Pretty much every board I get from them feels amazing now. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, I know you spent a lot of time in Hawaii as well. You know, you grew up in North yeah. Carolina, but then Hawaii as well. Do you remember the first time you, you went surfing in Hawaii? Yeah, I do actually. I don't necessarily remember the first time, but I remember yeah. like one of my earlier trips. Yeah. Um, 
me and my family, we'd go over there every winter because my dad loved to surf and my mom, you know, it's just a beautiful place to go vacation. Mm. And yeah, we went um, to the North shore of Oahu and I surfed this wave called Haleiwa. Um, and it was three to four feet, but it was just a nice entry to, you know, that Pacific power that I'd never felt before. Mm. Um, and from that moment on, I just fell in love with that place. It's still so special to me. And yeah, I spend more time there than I probably do anywhere else right now. So, really? Yeah. What What are the best spots in Hawaii for you to surf? Um, you know, there's your standout waves, which are like Pipeline, Sunset, um, Rocky Point, and I love all those waves. I you know surf every time one of those waves are good. I'm surfing there, mm. and uh, I have a couple little waves behind my family's house out there. They're not quite as known. They're not quite as good either, but they're just really fun, uncrowded waves. I surf there all the time, like on a day to day basis. Um, but they're definitely sharky, so yeah. uh, it's kind of a little little timid but it's fun keeps the people out of the water so <laughs> have you had any close encounters with sharks like some some serious stuff i've never necessarily been chased down but i've had there was a time i was surfing this outer reef called hammerheads hmm. which it's, <laughs> it's i mean the name should, gives should it tell away, you right you know? there yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, but it's an amazing wave and it's a big wave so i was out there it's about a mile out to sea so it's you know Maybe not quite a mile, but it's, it's far out there. And uh, the waves were probably, you know, they weren't massive. It was like 20 to 30 foot range. And it was just me and my buddy out there. We were having a ball. He went in. I was sitting outside waiting to catch a wave in behind him. And uh, I had to go straight on the wave. And I jumped off my board. Everything was fine. And my leash broke. And I'm, you know, pretty much a mile out to sea. No oh, surfboard. Wow. And have to swim all the way to the beach. And mm. I'm like, okay. So gotta get started <laughs> so i start swimming 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 about halfway in i look to my right and there's a shark eating something from it's literally a foot away from me no one's around i'm just floating there a half mile out in the middle of the ocean i'm just like oh no this is it <laughs> but i guess i mean thank god it was eating something or else you probably would have you know gave me a little nibble so um, I tried my best to ignore it because the current was, you know, sucking me out back out to sea, you know, at a really, really, really fast pace. So I had to keep swimming. I just kept my head down and didn't look behind me. It just kind of act as if I didn't see it, even though my heart was in my throat. Mm. And uh, yeah, it never messed with me. Wow. But for those like for about five minutes, it was just <laughs> going ham on something right next to me. But <laughs> I've I've never felt so helpless in my entire life. Just, uh. you know, no one around, nothing to lay on, nothing in between me and the shark. And it was just a terrible feeling. I'll yeah. never forget, like, getting back on the beach that day. I felt so good. I was like, I was kissing the ground. I was so happy. <laughs> I bet. Oh, yeah. man. That's freaky. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I mean, we, I grew up in Sydney, so there was always shark alarms going off, but we had spotters. We had people out on the beach spotting sharks. So like the alarm yeah. went off. I was like, okay, let's, let's go in, you know, but um, yeah. I, ne I never had anything like that. That would scare the crap out of me. Yeah. That was really scary. But yeah. you know, since then I've, I've seen a handful, um, but no, you know, crazy encounters where they're coming at me or, you know, tried to actually attack me. I know you go all over the world and, and obviously, you know, different spots have, have different um, breaks and stuff like that. But in terms of, 
you know, some great white sharks, for instance, you know, they like cold water, but they also, you know, tend to be around where some of the big swells are as well. Do you go to places where it's renowned for great whites? Oh yeah. Um, one of the waves I spend a majority of my time at is up near San Francisco in this town called Half Moon Bay. Mm. Um, and it's a big wave. The wave itself is, you know, one of the scariest waves in the, in the world. I think it's called Mavericks. Mavericks. And, yeah. um, it's, you know, filled with great whites. Yeah. <laughs> They're all over the place. I guess that whole area is called the red triangle. Mm. And I want to say it's a great, right, great white breeding ground. Mm. So there's, you know, maybe more per capita there than anywhere in the world or something. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. But when I'm out there at maps, you know, that's honestly the last of my concerns. Um, <laughs> the way it's so scary itself. That's kind of all I'm thinking about. But yeah, well, I kind of want to get into that. Like when did you start to ride big waves and we're, and we're talking, when we say big waves, how big are they? I'd say a big wave is, you know, 30 feet and up probably. Mm-hmm. If I had what, to guess. And what's the biggest you've ever ridden? Um, probably 50, probably 50 foot. Yeah. Um, yeah, that wave, that wave, one of the biggest waves I ever caught was that wave you posted on your Instagram yesterday. Mm. Um, that was at this outer reef in Hawaii and I was still young then I was like 19. Um, yeah, but wow. that was a ride I won't forget for a long time. So Talk to us about that. First of all, I mean, just talk us through the, the, the setup and then obviously, you know, the, the decision to, to take the wave and then, and then actually being on the wave. Like, talk us through the whole process. So, yeah, I mean, it just all depends on where you are, the amount of people that are out. But, you know, if, say, you're in Hawaii, you know, one of those outer reefs, it's usually just me and my buddy out there. Mm. So we're really, really taking our time and, you know, being, you know, careful on what ways we take um but at this point i just have so much fun doing it i'm so excited and i just don't even remember necessarily what's going on around me the whole time if i like at the end of the day when i'm thinking back on you know a long day of surfing big waves it's just a blur um really and i don't know if that's just from the amount of adrenaline and focus that's going through my body or what it is but especially riding a wave in general you know from the moment of you know seeing a big lump of water and then you know turning around and actually paddling for it i just like black out <laughs> i don't really? remember anything yeah um and it's always been that way i don't know why but some of the most memorable waves of my life you know i don't necessarily remember what it felt like riding the wave but you know wow. i see a photo after and i'm like okay that was really fine <laughs> Sometimes when I watch a surfer, it looks like they have a pattern that, you know, it's almost like they'd planned out the wave, which is almost, it's impossible because you don't know what the wave is going to do, but you see somebody doing something and it looks like in their mind, they'd said, I'm going to do that, 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 and that, but that's, that's not the way you seem to be talking about it. Yeah. I mean, it's all kind of second nature. I guess when you put like what you do on the wave depends on what the wave is doing. Um, Mm. on a big wave, you know, as your bottom turning, if it looks like it's going to barrel, you're going to naturally instinctively pull up high and try to get in the barrel. Um, if it looks like it's going to close out, you're going to naturally straighten out and, you know, try to ride it as far as you possibly can. So you don't get, you know, tumbled by giant whitewater. Um, and same with small waves as you're dropping in, I don't think people know exactly 
really good surfers don't know what they're going to do on that wave until they actually see what the wave is going to produce, what the section looks like. It just, it just all comes down to instinct. And if you see like, okay, that section's really good for an air, you're going to just instinctively try an air. If it's good for a turn, you're going to instinctively do a turn. And I think that just comes with time and, you know, learning the ocean and it literally becomes second nature. Um, mm. You're like, Oh, section air <laughs> or like, Really? Turn. Yeah. It just kind of all depends. Split second. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's pretty interesting. Like a lot comes down to foot movement too. I was watching some video the other day and I never realized how much foot movement's actually going on because I'm not even conscious of it, but you know, I'm conscious like constantly on a wave, stepping forward, stepping backwards, stepping back in the middle. And it's just pretty interesting. It was pretty interesting to watch on video. Um, the amount of movement that's going on mm. just, with instinct that just I didn't even know subconsciously just moving. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, adapting to what the wave's doing. So. Yeah. Well, talk me through a few feelings, a couple, maybe a couple of really good feelings and then some bad ones. You know, I've, I've, I've had some moments on some waves where I've, I've felt great and then some moments where it scared the living shit out of me. So talk yeah. to me about being in a barrel. Like what is that? What is that um, adrenaline rush feel like because you guys are obviously drawn back into wanting that feeling again so it's like it's like a drug i've got to get that again that is the best drug in the world there's there's no better feeling in the world than getting barreled like if i could pick anything to do for the rest of my life it'd be a hundred percent just get barreled (laughs) and it's just a it's a feeling you can't describe it's it's almost you know like things move in slow motion almost when you're in the barrel it's just air feels different. It, um, it just all depends on the wave too. Sometimes like a really perfect wave, you can kind of just stand there and look around you and you're just like, wow, this is crazy. Sometimes a more critical wave. Um, you're obviously in that like kind of fight or flight mode more so that what I was talking about before where you kind of black out and you don't remember anything. Mm. Um, but it's just definitely the most special feeling. Um, it gets the, it gets the heart rate going like crazy and you're just inside this wall of water trying to navigate yourself out of it it's you know it's the ultimate thing in surfing so is is every wave different there's not not two waves exactly the same are they yeah every wave is different and that's that's what makes it you know way different from other sports like skateboarding or snowboarding it's you're constantly having to you know, work with something different every time, which mm. I think has definitely slowed down the pace of the sport opposed to others. But, you know, there's some new technology coming out with these wave pools popping up all around the world, which is giving you a consistent exact same wave every time. So I'm mm. interested to see, you know, with how much that progresses the sport, because mm. you could really start perfecting and working on technique like you guys do in swimming more mm. so than just, you know, seeing a section that you might not have gotten the past two hours and just going for it. Um, so yeah. Well, that's a good question. Obviously the wave pools and and you've got that wave that you can consistently go back and be trying the same thing over and over again. That's a new, new thing for surfing, but how do you, how do you train? How do you get better at surfing? You know, what are the things that you're doing to improve your surfing? Yeah. So I train every day outside of the water. Um, I have gyms all around LA that I work, you know, go work out at, mm-hmm. um, a lot of cardio, a lot of strength and, you know, just normal day-to-day stuff. Um, a lot of stuff in the pool, like, um, 
what you and Cody are going to do. Um, I love going to swim laps. That's, you know, I think the ultimate cardio, it's still something I feel like I'm terrible at. Mm. So I try to go swim as much as possible just cause it's actually so hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that gets you in the best shape possible. Yeah. Um, I'm experimenting with a couple other people. I just started working with this gymnast from Spain and he's trying to teach me some like acrobatic acrobatics, mm-hmm. just, you know, technique with spinning and flipping and that stuff's been really interesting. And I, I think it's actually going to help a lot. Mm. Um, and that's something that not too many surfers have kind of tapped into. Mm. So I could see that really being something that people start to focus on in the surf world. Yeah. So that's really cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like spinning is, you know, such a, it's, it's all with your hands, you know? And I feel like a lot of surfers know the movement, but they're not like consciously thinking about exactly what they're doing. And I think there's a way to perfect, you know, airs and yeah, we're working on it. So, yeah. Yeah. I've never seen anybody on a surfboard jump up and do a backflip and land back on the surfboard and keep going, man. That could be the next thing. Yeah, that's something. <laughs> Definitely. That would be crazy. I don't know I'm if it's sure possible. A wave pool would be a perfect place to go figure that one out. Yeah, try that one out there. Yeah, that'd be people good. Are, people are getting creative nowadays, so I'm sure, sure it'll happen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just pushing just pushing the envelope and, and trying to evolve the sport. I mean, you see it, yeah. right? And, and you see it with young kids because they're kind of fearless because they, they see – they see everything you guys are doing and, and then you see a young kid do it and you're like, Oh damn, if they can do yeah. it, I can do that. There's 12 year olds doing backflips and wave pools, which is crazy. You know, wow. like wow. that wasn't happening a couple years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely yeah. progressing the sport a lot. That's insane. Yeah. Um, now another thing that I know that you work on specifically is, um, breath holding, you know, obviously when you get hit yep. by, uh, by a 50 foot wave and get taken down, um, there's, there's a time when you're under the water. Um, talk to us about that. You know, the, one of the worst feelings in surfing is, is getting swallowed up by that white water or even just falling straight off the face of the wave and straight down into a reef or whatever it is, you know, what's it like being held under the water there? It's, you know, it can be the worst thing in the world. And sometimes it can be the most relaxing thing in the world. It just kind of depends on your headspace. And ultimately the goal is to be comfortable enough to just know when you do fall that you're prepared for that moment and you can just lay there and relax because the wave's going to do whatever it wants to you. There's nothing you can do to fight against that wave, especially, you know, when it's a wave in the 50 foot plus range, there's nothing you can do. It's going to, you know, throw you sideways for as long as it wants. And until it lets you up, you know, there's nothing, Mm. um, you can't fight against it. So I train a lot in the pool, um, with weights and getting my heart rate up underwater and trying as hard as I can to relax and, you know, slow it back down. Um, things as simple as just, you know, getting in a 25 yard pool and seeing how many laps I can do underwater. Um, and it's weird. I've been working with technique there and you would think, you know, swimming to the end and back and then back as quick as you can is the way to go. But actually staying underwater longer and going way slower and really taking your time, you can go twice as long. Mm. So it's all about just, you know, I practice 
just staying comfortable in really uncomfortable situations. And, you know, that's, you know, a good way to do it. So that when that wave does break in front of you and you are put in a really bad situation, you don't panic and you can just lay there and, you know, have peace with it. So. I'd imagine it takes more oxygen when you're in a wave like that to, you know, being held under, you know, you're burning up more oxygen than if you're just in a peaceful pool and holding your breath, you know, relax. Exactly. Right? Definitely. So they say a minute in the pool is equal to 10 seconds in the ocean. Oh, wow. So supposedly, you know, I've taken a couple of free diving courses and stuff in there. They say the average blackout time for someone under a wave is around 25 to 30 seconds, which is not long at all. You know? Um, mm, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really quick, but the yeah. average wave holds you under for five to 10 seconds on a really? really big day. And then, you know, worst case scenario, you have a two wave hold down and that's where you get in the like 30 second to a minute long hold downs when, you still haven't came up from the wave you fell on and the next wave comes and pushes you back down. And that's where, you know, things really hit the fan and the preparation comes into play. Yeah. Well, I know there was a famous surfer uh, by the name of Mark Fu who, who died at Mavericks many years ago that had a huge impact on the surfing community as well. And I'm sure there's been many since then or, or few since then um, yeah. that you know of, but um, why would you want to get into big wave surfing if, if the, if the risk of death is there? I mean, do you, yeah. do you fear death? I definitely fear death, but there's something about, you know, pushing it and just trying to catch a bigger and bigger wave. You just always want more. And I think that's a lot of people are like that just in general. That's just, you know, humanity. We always want to push it and see what's possible, you know, regardless of the risk. Um, and that risk is just something that, you know, me and a bunch of my friends have accepted and we're trying to be as prepared as you can possibly be. So when that time does come, you know, we'll make it. Yeah. So. Do you, you guys, I guess you have spotters around you when you, when you, people that are looking for you, what about the things that are on your wrist or, you know, that, that inflate that pop you up or is this yeah. like that? Yeah. So safety, you know, since Mark Fu and that stuff, obviously people have taken precaution to another level with, you know, guys like me who train every day. Um, mm. they, we do breath hold work outside of surfing. Mm. And on top of that, we have, you know, jet skis in the water watching everyone very closely mm. and on top of that um there's now these psi vests um the personal inflation vests that mm. have really made a giant impact on um big wave surfing mm. so essentially there's little co2 cartridges in the back of them and you wear them as precaution you don't pull them unless you really really need them but they're there just in case you know it hits the fan yeah. and uh yeah They've really saved, I think, a lot of lives. Um, if you're really deep and you feel like there's a second wave coming, you start panicking. Maybe you pull one of those and it inflates. It'll get giant, you know, twice the mm. size of your body oh, wow. and help pull, help pull you to the surface. Um, yeah. I tell people not to ever rely on those things because, you know, I've been in situations where I've at the bottom of the ocean and pulled and I haven't budged just because the wave is that powerful. Mm. Um, so it doesn't necessarily like prevent drowning, but it definitely helps in a lot of cases. Okay. So, yeah. Interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. What about, um, you know, when you take off the face and, and I've had moments like this, probably not to your extent, but you know, you can see the, the sand right there or you can see the reef right underneath you. That's kind yep. of, that's, that's kind of freaky too, right? It's definitely intimidating. Like one of my biggest fears is grief. I don't know why, you know, mm-hmm. with a lot of big waves that I surf, that's the last of your concerns because big waves break in really deep water. So you're never hitting the bottom. But at waves like pipeline, the reef is, you know, two feet below the surface. And that's always in the back of your head as you're taking off. Because if you fall the wrong way and hit your head, you know, that's a, it's just lights out. And that's a really scary thing to think about. You know, pipeline, I think, has taken maybe more lives than anywhere. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily the tallest waves in the world, but it's just so much power on such little bit of water. Mm. Um, if you fall in the wrong spot there, you know, you're so prone to just smack your head and split it open. Um, Do you wear a helmet? Some, I don't, but the whole helmet thing is really, you know, coming out the past year, especially mm. more and more people are starting to wear them out mm. there than ever. I'd say five years ago, you'd see maybe one guy wearing one in the lineup. Yeah. And nowadays probably 40% of people have one, mm. which is, you know, a really big you know, Jump, step yeah. forward. Yeah. now um you know in the last few years um toe surfing has really come along and i know that you feel a certain way about or you've got your own opinions you know you you're the type of guy that likes to paddle into his own waves rather than be towed into uh, a big wave what's the difference for you so i think it just all depends on the day there's obviously a fine line where you can't paddle and you have to tow you know places like nazare where the waves get you know above 70 feet i just don't know how it's possible but it would be really hard to catch on those with your own arms mm. so for waves like that i think it's really cool people are pushing the sport someone's going to catch a 150 foot wave out there one day you know wow. with a jet ski which mm. is going to be really cool to see mm. um and i have a lot of respect for it i don't do it as often as i do paddle just because that's more my focus um I spend more time at waves that paddling is pretty much what you do and you don't tow like Mavericks. It's very rare. You have people out there towing in unless mm. it's, you know, a historic swell once every 10 years or something. Mm. Um, I just think that's where the progression of the sport is, is seeing where you can push with your arms and catching it on your own. Mm. Um, so what does it feel like when you're on the top of the lip of, of the wave and you're looking down a 30 foot wave? Like what for the normal person, the average person, what does that, how can you um, explain that experience? Go stand on top of a five story building and just stare over the edge and imagine <laughs> really? dropping down the side of the thing. And really? when you get to the bottom, maybe walk down the stairs and look up and imagine that thing chasing you down. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's like the best way to kind of look at that's it. Nuts. That's yeah. nuts. Have you ever, um, you know, obviously gone and committed to a wave and then immediately thought, uh, I mean, you, you have, I know that, but like, <laughs> what's that feeling like when you're like, shit, <laughs> wrong way. Yeah. I mean, that just comes with practice and, uh, I've obviously had my fair share of really bad wipeouts. And I think that's made me a better surfer in the long haul because now, you know, I'm more patient and I sit and wait for the wave that I pretty much know I'm going to make instead of risking it 
you know, and yeah. putting everyone else at risk too. Um, but you, you know, there's always that moment where last second you whip it on a big wave, not knowing you're going to make it and you don't You eat crap and you get yeah. smoked and you come up and either, you know, you're absolutely cooked and want to go in or you want to try again. It just kind of all depends on the situation, how bad it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Surfing when I was growing up was very territorial. You know, you, you had your, your spots and your people and you couldn't go certain places. Is it, has it evolved since then? I mean, I'd say places are still extremely territorial. Um, people aren't getting in fights as much as they were. I think just because of social media and stuff, you know, if you're fighting someone on the beach, someone's going to video it and put it straight on Instagram and mm. that's going to, you know, yeah. go viral really quick. Um, people are definitely a little more lenient than they used to be, but there's a fine line. If, if someone, you know, really messes up and is being absolutely in the wrong, then there's people that are going to say something. Um, but I think it takes a lot more now than it used to, to make people mad. There's always that unspoken rules and respect kind of thing of the, of the, of the waves and the ocean and, and even the region of where you're at. Like what are some of those kind of unspoken rules that you're supposed to abide by? Yeah. So traveling the world, you know, you're always supposed to, you know, first off, just respect the locals, the people that live there. It's, it's their town, it's their waves. And you're supposed to, you know, they're first in line to catch whatever wave they want. And whether you like that or not, you have to accept that. Um, and you know, I've always been pretty good about just being patient and I think it's important and just let the locals get their waves. You know, it's, you know, you're in their town, they're sharing what they have with you and it's just, and if you do that, then usually you'll have your time to get a really good wave and everyone's happy. And it just, it always works better that way. So, yeah. yeah. Who's, who's uh, been your role models or some of your mentors that have helped you evolve? So yeah, the big wave world, I, I got introduced to through uh, Grant Twiggy Baker. Um, mm. He's from South Africa and he's, you know, been run, one of my role models since, you know, day one. He's one of the best big wave surfers in the world and he's so smart. He's won pretty much all the contests you could possibly win in the big wave world. Mm. And he's just super, super talented, good person. Yeah. Um, he luckily stays with me out in Hawaii. Um, and we spend, you know, our winters together, me, him, you know, my family and his family, his wife and his daughter. And he's, you know, I'm grateful that he's kind of taken me under his wing and taught me pretty much everything he knows. Everything I've learned about big waves, pretty much he's taught me first. Wow. So that's yeah. cool. Love it. What about, uh, what's the coolest places you've, you've surfed? What's the, what's, what's your favorite break in the world? I mean, I think one of the best waves in the world is this wave called Skeleton Bay in Namibia, Africa. Wow. Um, there's nowhere like it in the world. It's absolute phenomenal. It's like a two-mile-long barreling left sandbank, mm. and there's nowhere like it on planet Earth, I don't think. It's wow. insane. And when you're there, it's such a good wave. Like you don't even, It doesn't even feel real. I, I'll never forget the first time pulling up on that beach and seeing an eight foot barreling wave just reel for two miles. That was just, wow. I was, I was like almost in tears, honestly. Yeah. Like I, I caught a couple waves out there and kicked out and had tears come out of my eyes. I was so happy. Mm. Um, that place has absolutely changed my life and everyone that goes there changes their life. Mm. Um, 
That's I try awesome. to go there whenever I can, but it's, you know, as far as you could possibly travel in the world. Um, yeah. It's so off the beaten path and it's pretty hard to forecast and it costs a lot of money to get there. So mm, I bet. it's a big risk going, but if you go and it does all work out, it's you know, well, well, well worth it. That's awesome. I know a lot of surfers watch the, the, the waves and watch the weather and then, and then they'll jump on an airplane. Have you ever done that? Yeah. So that's pretty much what I do more so than anything more than contest. I, uh, I'm constantly watching the forecast for anywhere in the world depends on the time of year for winter. I'm looking at Hawaii Mavericks and Portugal. Mm. Um, and if I see anything significant, you know, and it still looks really good two days out, I'll hop in a plane and go there. Um, mm. In the summertime, I'm looking more at Indonesia, Tahiti, uh, Fiji. Mm. And, you know, if something looks good, then I'll hop in a plane and go there. Um, wow. And that's, that's my favorite thing to do. I have a really good group of friends from Hawaii that I travel with to all those places. And they're constantly pushing me and, you know, helping me become a better surfer do crazier things. So it's fun to go on those, you know, trips and just try to push it. What about for a competitive surfer first for swimmers, the ultimate dream is being at the Olympics and, and competing for an Olympic gold medal. What is, what's the pinnacle for a competitive surfer? I'd say winning a world title. Um, that's always been the pinnacle, uh, being number one in the world. Um, that's like the ultimate claim to fame. And, uh, but nowadays with Olympics and stuff, you know, that's probably the next big focus is being an Olympian. I mean, that's the ultimate, you know, form of being an athlete and people are going to do whatever they can to be a part of that. So Surf, surfing is, is in Tokyo next year, is it? Yeah. So I think oh, they're okay. having it in Tokyo. Wow. I'm not sure exactly what beach it's at. I know it's at a beach that necessarily doesn't have the best waves. Mm. Um, so I'm really curious to see, you know, what happens i hope you know it's amazing and everything goes great so that the world can see how cool the sport it is and you know they can start to take it seriously um, is, it, is that something you'd have aspirations to do at all i mean i would love to be in the olympics definitely um i'd say my focus has been on a big wave thing the past five years so um i've kind of lost track a lot on the smaller wave thing and that seems to be where the olympics are heading yeah but I mean, obviously that would be one of the biggest accomplishments of my life is going to the Olympics. That would be for any athlete. Yeah. So, okay. Cool. Yeah. What about the scoring in surfing? Is it, is it fair? Like if I was in a, in a lineup with, um, you know, Kelly Slater and somebody else, you know, um, and I'm trying to beat them, like, is, is there bias in, in the scoring? People, there's always, it's always political, no matter what, someone's not happy at the end of the day. Um, it's they've got it pretty down though nowadays on you know the professional level all the world tour events are pretty on point with judging mm. um it all seems pretty fair yeah. but you know growing up and surfing these little rinky dink contests all over there was always people getting screwed over yeah. i yeah i always felt like i was the one getting screwed <laughs> over too more so than anyone but oh, really? that's just part of it and yeah. that's i guess how you take a step forward is yeah. move on and beat them the next time. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. What, what about a spot that you've never surfed that's still on your bucket list? Um, let's see. So I've been to Tahiti and surfed Chopu. 
but I haven't necessarily surfed it how I want to. Mm. Um, you know, I want to go back there and surf it on a really big day. That wave is one of the craziest waves in the world. Trope so, is beautiful, man. I'd love, yeah, to, I'd I mean, love to sit there, watch you do that. It's picture perfect. And it's so yeah. cool. Like for watching it, even, you know, yeah. they'll put you right there next to the wave, mm. like so close that the spit from the wave even hits you on the boat. Mm. Um, there's this wave Neos in Indonesia. Uh, it's kind of like a reverse version of Chopu and it's a right. Um, I would love to go there. I've never been there. That looks like a really special place. That's cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, what about yeah. Australia, man? I'm an Aussie. You know, what are the spots in Australia that, what are the go-to spots? Oh, I mean, the, the Gold Coast is obviously, you know, I'd say where all the focus is. That's the yeah. epicenter of it all. Snapper and Duramba, all those ways are so good. Um, I, that place is amazing. I love it over there. Yeah. Um, I mean, you guys got so many good waves. The West Coast of Australia has some of the best waves in the world. Big waves, slabs, you know, everything, yeah. you name it. I yeah. haven't even made it to that part of the country yet, but that's definitely on the bucket list. Oh, yeah, w, WA is where it's at, man. There's some big waves there. I told you a couple of days ago, my daughter, uh, my first daughter's name is Kira. I named her after Kira Beach, which is yeah, a very yeah. famous beach in Australia. So That's um, a world-class wave too. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Well, listen, man, I appreciate it. I know the swell is uh, pretty good in LA right now, and you want to get back out there. So I appreciate your time, man. This has been really yeah. um, informative, man. I loved it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was This was fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, no worries. I think I might see you and Cody later. I'm going to come swim some laps. So Perfect, man. We'll get you in the pool. Yeah. We'll get you going before you get on this trip. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to need some help. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right, cool. Mason. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one. It was good All time. Right. Later, bye. Cheers.